so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week we'll hear from Jackie Hill Perry. How can we celebrate the dignity of every tribe, tongue, and nation if we are unwilling to believe that there actually is dignity? Being made in the image of God means that every human being, no matter their race, their gender, disabled or able-bodied, whether born or unborn, is deserving of unspeakable honor because of whose image they point to. Many people only associate protecting babies with pro-life issues. And while being pro-life is about advocating for life in and out of the womb, it's about much more, including celebrating the beauty of diversity. At the Evangelicals for Life conference, Jackie Hill Perry addressed this topic in a challenging and helpful message. We hope you enjoy it. I've been given the opportunity to speak to the idea of seeing beauty and diversity and celebrating the dignity of every tribe, tongue, and nation. I do not take the privilege to engage on such a topic in vain because I have personally been deeply grieved and grateful for the disruptions that these kinds of discussions have caused. Grieved because I have been shocked, to be quite frank by the seemingly unempathetic position some in the church hold. But I am also very grateful, primarily for the goodness of God at work in his church. This rough climate in our culture has brought a lot of sin in the church to the surface that may not have been recognized if everything was peachy king. God, I I believe, is being good to us By showing the church its blind spots so that it may turn and pursue greater growth in the love that she has been called to. So as we approach the task of finding beauty and diversity, we must also see it as an opportunity to learn how to love better. For it is love that identifies us as disciples of Christ. And it is also the lack thereof that reveals if the darkness still remains. It would be fairly easy for me to give you a checklist on ways that you can accomplish the celebration of diversity. But I'm sure you've already acquired some really solid knowledge on what should or should not be done. So I plan to take another route. One that engages not only your behavior, but your heart. See, it is possible to be celebratory in our actions, but also have a dishonorable heart posture towards that which we are celebrating. You know this to be true if you've ever gone to your spouse's cousin's little sister's third birthday party. 
You brought presents, you sang the little song, you ate a little cake, even with a smile on your face, but you knew that you knew that you would have rather been at home minding your own business. Amen, somebody. (laughs) Your behavior and your heart were not united in being celebratory. So the emphasis of my talk will rest on what should happen in the heart first before we can have a genuine and lasting celebration of dignity as it relates to diversity. I offer you three actions that will assist you in your efforts. Number one is repentance. I think I would be doing you a disservice if I skipped past this responsibility as if it is not the springboard from which change happens. We have sinned against people when we have spoken to them, judged them, looked upon them, thought about them, or treated them in a dishonorable way because of the color of their skin, the language that they speak, or the culture that they embody. And these sins against people are first and foremost sins against God. I offer that the first sin to be repented of is pride. I'm sure we are familiar with its traits, seeing that it was the sin underneath the sin that fractured man's relationship with God and consequently man's relationship with each other. A common yet subtle manifestation of pride that is becoming of those who have difficulty seeing beauty in diversity is the assumption that their race or their culture is the standard. And what a dangerous assumption it is. It is this idea that racism is born out of. That the, b- the belief that the visibility or the invisibility of your melanin determines the legitimacy of your worth. It is this idea that leads the wealthy or semi-wealthy to withhold honor from the impoverished people of our country as if one's dignity is to be measured by how much money someone makes instead of by the identity of one's maker. Not only that, but this, this bias will infect evangelism and discipleship. What I mean by that is, if you see your culture as the standard, therefore impeding your capacity to see beauty in a culture that is distinctive from yours, what will happen is, is that your evangelism will mutate into cultural assimilation, where you will mistakenly confuse discipleship into your culture with discipleship into Christ. For example, for about four years, I counseled Christian mentors in Chicago who were walking life with teenage minorities. A good number of these mentors were white and raised in suburbia. And there were times when some of these men and women would fall into the assumption that their walking life with these teens meant taking them out of the hood or changing their style of dress or transforming their dialect as if the suburbs and a lesson in articulation was a sufficient savior from sin. Now granted, There are so many things that these teens could learn from their mentor's culture. But there were just as many things that these mentors could learn from them. However, their belief that their culture was the standard by which all cultures should submit left no room for humility and muddled their true motive for their discipleship. I assure you that it will be quite difficult for you to even begin seeing beauty in a culture when you deem it as a lesser. So we must turn from this pride and recognize that Christ is the standard of goodness and beauty. We are not. Another sin that needs to be repented of is fear. Fear is so separatist. Such as when Peter, who 
knowing that the gospel had broken down the wall of hostility between Gentiles and Jews, took advantage of this gospel unity by fellowshipping over food with his Gentile brothers in Christ until a few important men showed up. When they arrived, Peter stopped walking in this freedom. Peter chose to separate himself from his Gentile brothers. Why? Because he was afraid. Of who? He was afraid of people. Fear distorts. It turns brothers into enemies and opponents into masters. I am not convinced that people don't speak out about injustice or fight for the unborn or pursue diverse relationships solely on the basis of apathy. I believe it is because somewhere deep inside of their hearts, they are also afraid. Philando Castile was murdered because of fear. Millions of children are aborted because of fear. Even some of our positions that we hold towards immigration and refugees stem from fear. When fear informs our behavior, it sabotages our fruitfulness, thus keeping us out of step with the gospel. If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. Remember in Genesis 3, when after Adam and Eve sinned, it says that they heard God walking and they proceeded to hide from him. When God asked them where they were, not at all implying that he was less than all knowing, but rather giving an opportunity for confession, Adam tells God that he hid. Because he was afraid, which is intriguing because since sinfulness led him to believe that hiding from God could save him from God. Therefore, I, pre I presume that fear is nuanced. It can either be worship or rebellion, reverence or sin. So the fear that is keeping us from love cannot simply be replaced by removing the reality of fear itself, but reorienting it. Where God becomes not only the savior of our fears. But the Lord of our faith, how might our love and perspectives on diversity and its implications be if we feared God alone? I believe that we would love freely, without restraint, and full of Holy Ghost-empowered kindness towards everyone, no matter their color, culture, language, or sociological position for us to believe, for us to begin celebrating the dignity of every tribe, tongue, and nation, we cannot be afraid of what our celebration may bring. The second action that I offer in developing a heart posture for seeing beauty and diversity and celebrating the dignity of other cultures is to remember. I'm going to read this quote. I therefore hate the corrupt Slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of the land. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds. I am filled with unutterable loathing when I contemplate the religious pomp and show together with the horrible inconsistencies which everywhere surround me. We have men stealers for ministers, women whippers for missionaries, and cradle plunderers for church members. The man who wields the blood-cotted cow skin during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. 
The slave auctioneers bail and the church going bail chime in with each other and the bitter cries of the heartbroken slave are drowned in the religious shouts of his pious master. This quote is from Frederick Douglass. In it he identifies a significant indictment on the American church which is that in her exposure or in the immersion to the Christian faith and therefore access to God's word, she, the church, then has a tendency to look into the mirror of God's word and immediately forget what she's saying. This is a metaphor that is explicitly described in James chapter 1. And of course, the authentic Christianity of someone committing such gross sins against human beings with no repentance in sight should be called into question, but the sentiment is the same. We too forget i wonder how many times we have sat under the preaching of god's word or spent time in the scriptures with our highlighters and our commentaries in hand and the glorious concept of people being made in the image of god crosses our path and as it does we see the triune god declare let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion but then after the book is closed or after the benediction is said or When the conference is over, we forget. And it's not that we've forgotten the concept. It's that we didn't do the work to live out this glorious truth in our lives where it actually changes us. How can we celebrate the dignity of every tribe, tongue, and nation if we are unwilling to believe that there actually is dignity? Being made in the image of God means that every human being, no matter their race, their gender, disabled or able-bodied, whether born or unborn, is deserving of unspeakable honor because of whose image they point to. Being made in the image of God means that we are created to spread glory and perhaps this is what we see on our face in the mirror and forget about. For if I was made in his image and therefore for his glory, then that means that I am now compelled to love as he loved. Which puts a wedge between my nature and his spirit because his word is always telling me to die. To take up my cross. To humble myself. To love my neighbor as myself. Looking in the mirror of God's word and forgetting what we've seen happens because it's easier to store it in our minds than it is to let it have its way in our hearts. But thank God for Jesus. It is with unveiled face that we are and must behold his glory. And be transformed into his image from glory to glory. It is in our beholding of Christ where we are able to see rightly. I don't want us to be a people that will verbally acknowledge the doctrine of the Imago Dei. And deny it the moment that we treat someone as if they were made in the image of the devil. We must be convinced that God's word is true and to be obeyed. And this faith will undo apathy. This faith will unleash love. This faith will compel you to speak up and celebrate the dignity of all people, not only in word or in tweet, but in deed. Lastly, I want you to invite. After this, I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation 7, we have this astounding vision of heaven. There are angels and elders and the four living creatures around God's throne worshiping. Before the throne is an innumerable amount of people. And these people are given a description. They are not identified by their different roles on earth. Or nor according to the things they have accomplished, not yet at least. But the writer identifies these people by their coming from different ethnic origins. This could seem like an unnecessary piece of information if you are blind to the enormous connection that is being made. These people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are not here due to any merit in and of themselves. They are here because God kept his promise to Abraham. God told him in Genesis 17. That he would make him a father to a multitude of nations. And now in Revelation 7, these nations stand before the risen Lamb of God, praising for him for his salvation. For because of him being slain on their behalf, they were made right with God. Now, what does this have to do with the word invite? Has everything to do with it. The diversity of heaven exists because God wanted it to. Hear my emphasis on the word wanted. So let me reword it in a question. Do you have an affection for every tribe, tongue, and nation? Or is the work of diversity only a duty for you? And I understand that it is a work. It takes effort to step out of your comfort zone. It takes intentionality to look for ethnically diverse voices to speak into your life. It is not easy to work towards undoing bias. There can be a struggle in exploring a culture that is different from your own so that solidarity can abound. But as a believer, the lack of work, the kind of work motivated by faith that is, is indicative of a laziness of will or dare I say that it could be the absence of affection for the people this work would involve it was the lord's willing of the inclusions of all nations into his covenant that informed his working on our behalf if you are considered a gentile you were not born into the nation of israel therefore not named as a part of god's chosen people but ain't you glad that though you weren't a people god has called you a people That when God took Abram outside and told him to look up and count the stars, that even before the stars were born, it was in God's will that you be numbered among the people these stars represent. And don't forget that God's willing for us to be his was in conjunction with his setting his affection on us. God did not give his only son to die for the world because he had to. He gave his son because he loved us. 
We can encourage the welcoming of diverse relationships into our homes, which is necessary. We can encourage the welcoming of diverse nations into our churches, which is necessary. But more than that, why don't we pray for God to give us a brotherly affection for all nations that will not only cause us not to only invite them into our environments, but also into our heart. It was in God's will to invite every tribe, tongue, and nation into his love. And I beg you to make it a part of yours. With repentance and remembering the truth of God's word. May our affections soar for all people. And may it lead us into a celebration of every tongue, tribe, and nation that will continue into the day. Where we will all fall on our face before the throne saying blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ERLC podcast. To subscribe, visit ERLC.com. And join us next week as we answer tough questions about same-sex marriage.